Our scripture reading this morning began with a passage from the book of Proverbs. Perhaps you know a little bit about Proverbs. It's a book of wisdom sayings. And in them we see the timeless truths that go beyond location, region, historical setting. They are real and true throughout all time and space. That's what wisdom is about. It's available to every person, wherever they may be. Accessible, simple, and yet calls us into the profound act of living a full life. Proverbs is a book of wisdom sayings, but it's not only in Proverbs that we hear wisdom given to each of us. Jesus taught wisdom. I'm reminded of one of his particular sayings as we see it in the Gospel of Mark. He tells about the parable of the growing seed. Jesus also said, The kingdom of God is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day, and the seed would sprout and grow. He does not know how. Well, we know how. We've studied this, right? We have little pictures and diagrams about what happens when the rain falls and when the sun shines. We know the stages of a seed unfolding, breaking open, the sprout that comes up. Yet even in our knowing, we cannot make it happen. We can't make a sprout sprout. We can't make that seed open and the green little stem unfurl. We can't make it break the soil and receive what comes from the sky. Here is wisdom for us to consider. What is it that we know? How is it we're a part of this world? What is our role so that we might have a life and have it abundantly? Jesus goes on to say that then as the rain comes down, the harvest grows, and then the farmer's job is to go and to reap the harvest. We have a sense of our role in the kingdom of God as we listen to this wisdom teaching in this parable. Yes, wisdom is available to us. It is accessible to all people. You don't have to have a particular degree to understand the wisdom of God, and you know this. Consider how it is that you've been taught by a simple-minded person, perhaps a child, a piece of wisdom. Consider that. Maybe a child has taught you that life is in the here and the now, that we are to engage one another in the moment at hand. That's a piece of wisdom. That child does not have a PhD. They don't even have a high school diploma. And yet they invite us in the truth that spans all time and space. Consider other pieces of wisdom you've learned from simple-minded people. Perhaps that joy is available in all things. If you think about it a moment, I know that you would have things that you have learned, bits of truth found in unexpected places, accessible to you right there, even without some highfalutin thinking. This is the good news that Jesus offers us in himself. One piece of scripture that I particularly like, a wisdom saying, is found in the book of Proverbs. It's chapter 27, verse 17. And it says this, 
Iron sharpens iron, and one person sharpens the wits of another. I like that wisdom saying, especially when I engage someone else who I want to sharpen me. Perhaps they know something that I would like to know more about. Perhaps they approach a topic in a way that I want to learn how to approach that topic, and so I feel sharpened by my interchange with them. But there have also been times when I've encountered someone who I really didn't want to encounter. And the parable, the proverb, remains still true. Iron sharpens iron, and one person sharpens the wits of another. Then I'm called into the truth of this wisdom. How is it I am sharpened even in relationship with that individual or that conversation or that approach that I don't particularly like? Here we're invited into wisdom. I don't remember the exact teaching in Buddhism, but I I trust the woman who shared with me that this is a Buddhist teaching too, that we are to receive what is brought to us because it will sharpen us. So see, wisdom goes beyond all time and place. It is not relegated to one group of people or one place in history. All truth is God's truth. It was there from the very beginning, and it is made accessible to all, no matter where you may be. The thing that we know as followers of Jesus is not only did he have wisdom teachings, but he was wisdom himself. Didn't he say, the Messiah must suffer be crucified, and then be raised on the third day. And like all wisdom sayings, the disciples reflect our own perplexity. What? Wait, wait, wait. That's not how it works. Remember that John the Baptist said, the one who is greater than me is coming after me, but he was actually before me. And I'm not worthy to untie the thongs of his sandals. People say, what? How is the one that's greater than you coming after you, but he was before you? We're invited into the depth of the wisdom. Jesus had many ways of teaching the wisdom of God. And in fact, there are people that respect and appreciate the wisdom that was demonstrated in Jesus' teachings, even though they don't consider themselves followers of Jesus. They wouldn't call themselves Christian. They wouldn't even say that they're a disciple or a seeker after Jesus' ways. But they recognize the wisdom of Jesus' words. Many of Jesus' wisdom sayings and teachings were organized and collected in a document that's referred to as the Q source. We know of this only because of how we see it reflected in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. Mark is believed to be the first gospel written around 60 AD. That's at least 30 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. And Matthew and Luke were written following that. They have some similarities to Mark's gospel, but they also have some similarities to one another. Even though Matthew and Luke were written to two different communities at two different places and times, they have some very almost exact words in each of them. So scholars researched and said, where did these come from? They seem to have come from a particular source. We'll call it Q, perhaps to refer to the German word quell, which means source. They must have been written down because of their similarities to these two people. Probably written in Greek, not in Aramaic. They reflect an early Jewish apocalyptic Christianity that was found in Palestine and southern Syria in the first couple of generations after Jesus' death and resurrection. 
Think about that for a minute. Early Jewish apocalyptic Christianity that was found in Palestine and in southern Syria. Wow. These wisdom teachings of Jesus were incorporated into both Gospels. And Jesus taught in all sorts of ways, with narratives, parables, oracles, beatitudes, prophetic pronouncements, wisdom words, and exhortations. We see them in Matthew and Luke, and they're almost exactly the same. But I'm going to share with you a few of Jesus' wisdom teachings from the Gospel of Luke, since that's our Gospel for this church calendar year. See if you recognize this one. Give to everyone who begs from you, and if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them to do, do to you. You recognize that one? The golden rule? Did you know it's shared by all religions? I actually have a poster that shows all the different religions and their variation on this wisdom truth. Yes, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. All truth is God's truth. It goes beyond any one of us, beyond time and space. This wisdom teaching follows the part where Jesus tells his disciples that if anyone strikes you on one cheek, turn the other to them also. What? What does this mean and why is Jesus inviting us to consider it? People have taken this literally and then stayed in abusive relationships. This is not what Jesus is teaching. But there's a bit of wisdom in here somewhere, and we are called deeper to consider what it is Jesus is inviting us to consider. A little further in that same passage from Luke's um, gospel, the sixth chapter, he says, Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. What? He's kind to the ungrateful and wicked? I'm to be merciful like him? Wow. What is Jesus inviting me into? Here's a passage that I like that follows that, what I just read. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. I like this. I like this wisdom teaching. At least I do when I've done something good to someone else. But how is it that this wisdom teaching considers that, invites us to consider our relationship with one another? The power we have to forgive and be forgiven the power we have to judge and to be judged, the power we have to condemn and to be condemned. Oh, Lord, we need to learn how to do this in a way that reflects you. This is a lot that you've given to us. Jesus is not simply, though, about instruction. He's also about relationship. Consider this piece of wisdom teaching from the 11th chapter of Luke. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds, and for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. 
Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Exclamation point. Where did that passage snag you? Did you get caught by the illustration of knocking and asking and knowing that it could be yours? What? Or were you challenged by the idea that we who are generous are also evil? What? Maybe you were caught up by the sense that God wants to give us what we ask in his name. This little wisdom piece pulls us deeper into what it means to be in relationship with God and what it means to be fully human, to have the abundant life that we are created to have. The wisdom that we are given through Christ invites us to consider the life-changing power that God offers us. I find in wisdom teachings that I am called into a fuller sense of myself. Wisdom teachings seem to know me better than I even know myself sometimes. And so when I find a discrepancy between how I understand myself and how God is inviting me to understand myself, I've learned to defer to God's instruction. God invites us into a fuller life. And if God says, you who are evil know how to good, do, give good gifts, then I consider, hmm, where is evil within me? Where is goodness? How can I reflect the goodness of God? Jesus believes and instructs us that in the disciplines of wisdom, we will find a fullness of life. And the instruction in wisdom covers all aspects of our life, including our financial and material resources. Jesus knows about the power of these things in our lives. It's just true about being human. He says this in the 16th chapter of Luke's Gospel. No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. I feel like I've met some people who want to challenge this one. I want to say, yeah, actually, actually I can. I can do both. What? Maybe Jesus is on to something here. Where is it that we put our trust? We long for security. There's no doubt about it. We can't not want it. We need it. We're people. We're fragile. We break. We've been broken. We long for security. And Jesus says, let me tell you where to place it. It's in me. It goes beyond the financial and material goods. But in relationship to your financial and material goods, you will learn how to trust me. It's for that reason that Jesus does so much instruction about the right relationship with our material possessions. In Luke's gospel and in Acts, which was written by the person who wrote the gospel of Luke, more than any other place, Jesus talks about our relationship to financial means. I didn't even print out on here the passage where he talks about do not worry do not worry about what you need, for the fa your Father in heaven knows what you need. Consider the grass. He cares for it. Are you not more valuable than the grass? 
Consider the sparrows. He cares for the sparrows. Are you not more valuable than the sparrows? Remember that God remembers you and trust yourself in God. Trust yourself to God. Trust God with you. In the practices of our material possessions, we learn how to do that. Money is one of those things because it's so fluid. It's an amoral thing. It's not good or bad, but it has power because it can so easily be in, turn into something good or bad. By its very nature, it's liquid, and it empowers goodness or badness. Sometimes those things are interwoven. So Jesus calls us to consider what it means to have a relationship with our finances. You know, when I was going to go to the Holy Land, when I was set out to go on my pilgrimage a year or so ago, I had a moment about a week before I was to leave, and I thought, what am I doing? Why am, am I tempting fate? Everything is fine. Why am I going on this trip? You know that feeling. The Ebola breakout was still happening, so I was worried about that, but a friend quelled my fears on that one. But then I thought about, oh gosh, the Middle East, it's just a mess. I remembered that God is with me and has been with me all of my days. And then I also remembered the power of mammon. I said, oh, you know what? Tourism dollars, Israel wants those. And they have a very strong military. You know what? It's going to be fine. I'm going to go. Right? No wonder people think money makes the world go round. Because of its power to make good or to create ill. And so Jesus invites us to consider our relationship with it. It's because of that that the vestry set out on a stewardship statement, a covenant. How is it that we can learn to trust God with our very selves, not only individually, but collectively as the people of St. Stephen's? How is it that we can practice putting our whole trust in God with our whole selves, with all that we have and with all that we are? A covenant. I'm reminded of Jesus' words in the 12th chapter of Luke. Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Don't be afraid. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give alms. This is the way we start to live a kingdom life how we begin to trust God with our very selves. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out. You know, I bought a few purses in my life. They do wear out. They get a little, you know, run on the corners there, and after a while they're frayed, and I think, oh, I can't carry this thing. It looks a mess. Maybe you have wallet, too, that gets worn out. I know someone whose wallet is worn out, and he just refuses to buy another one, so he puts a rubber band around it. It's not my husband. <laughs> The purses wear out, and Jesus is inviting us not to store up our treasures there, but to store, our, to store our treasures up in eternity, which actually comes all the way down to now. Eternity doesn't start when we're finished. It is. It already is. Jesus invites us to practice storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out. An unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near. Wow, no thief can take this? 
I don't need a home security system. I don't need encryption. I don't need a password. I don't need to change things up every six months. No, Jesus says, no thief can take this. And no moth destroys. I have some things that moths have destroyed. Do you? I have a particular sweater. It has about two holes here, and it has one here. But I look at that sweater, and I say, you know what? This is 99.967% still good. And I don't want to get rid of this, because then I have to buy a new one, which, if it's on sale, would be $30. Right? So moth consumes my money. I've decided that this 99.967% sweater is good enough. Jesus says to us, restore your treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What? Yes, Jesus says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. We are invited to practice this. This discipline of financial stewardship. Because God has told us, through the teachings of Jesus, through Jesus himself, of the abundant life that we have in these practices. We're wise to listen. We're wise to trust, because what will God do with us? What will God reveal to us as we engage this spiritual practice? For the conclusion of this homily, I want to invite you to take out your Book of Common Prayer. Turn to page 827 in the Book of Common Prayer. In this back portion of the prayer prayer book, there are many different prayers from many different times, and we're going to pray together number 38 at the top of page 827. It's written there in the old language, in the italicized words, we're going to read them as they're printed. So let us pray together, number 38 at the top of page 827. Almighty God, whose loving hand hath given us all that we possess, grant us grace that we may honor.